Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the webinar today. First and foremost, we hope you and your families, colleagues, and friends are safe and healthy. SCNH Group remains committed to providing content and events like these as we continue to navigate the challenges around the business impact of COVID-19. We hope that today's content will provide additional insights on the challenges and questions surrounding the Paycheck Protection Program. Just a few housekeeping items before we get started. All attendees will be on mute during the session. We received a lot of really good questions ahead of the webinar, and we tailored the content for today's program to address many of those, but Jim and Greg will also dedicate time to answering a handful of your questions at the end of today's webinar as time permits. In the event your question is not answered and you're an SCNH client, please reach out to your SCNH engagement team for immediate assistance. If you're not an SCNH client, we'd love to introduce ourselves and you're welcome to reach out to Jim and or Greg and they'll point you in the right direction. We will be recording this webinar and it will be available by tomorrow, May 1st. Please look out for an email from us or visit sdhgroup.com. Before I turn it over to our speakers, it is important to note that this information is very fluid. The content and advice we are presenting today is our interpretation of what is available at the moment. And all businesses need to continue working closely with their bank, attorney, and accountant. We encourage you to visit and bookmark our Coronavirus Resource Center for the most up-to-date content we have published. We have a number of upcoming events, and this page is continually being updated with new content as more information comes out. Our webinar will be led by Jim Wilhelm, Director of our Tax Practice here at SCNH, and Greg Horning, Director of our Personal Financial Planning Practice here at SCNH. And now I'm going to turn it over to Jim, who will kick things off for us. Thank you, Colin. And again, welcome, everyone. Thanks for making time in your day to join us. Um, and thanks, actually, for the questions. Um, they helped frame some of the content today and made sure we were going through the things that are most important to our clients and friends of the firm. And best wishes to everyone um, as we go through these challenging times. Um, to get started, um, I think our primary assumption is most folks listening in um, and watching either have already applied or have already received PPP loan funding. Um, so we're gonna mostly dive right into uh, forgiveness, various strategies around that, and some of the other concepts uh, that we think are important for everyone to be thinking about. So the first concept, if you will, is okay, you were lucky enough to be approved for a loan, you've had funding, you know, what should the strategy be? And while there's been a lot of talk uh, and a lot of writing, if you will, about forgiveness, and that's something to look for, um, we also think people need to not drive past the opportunity to have cash available more than eight weeks after your funding date. Um, in order to maximize forgiveness, you have an eight-week period to effectively spend that money. Um, it may not be the best business idea to maximize forgiveness and use all that cash during those eight weeks. Um, we're thinking about some industries where maybe the business is shut down or dramatically reduced in terms of volume and having available cash 
two, three, four months from now, you know, might trump any uh, forgiveness strategy that we talk about today. Um, as we drift into best practices, there's been a lot of uh, discussion the last few days, probably this whole week really, around um, the need for the loan. There's been press around public companies that have uh, effectively been shamed into returning their PPP money um, and SBA guidance is coming out every four hours on documenting uh, your certification for the need for the loan. So we thought that was important before. We believe it's even more important now. Um, if you haven't already done that, our recommendation is you have a very uh, detailed document as to why the proceeds of this loan were going to be helpful and, and help your business get through challenging times and uncertainty, um, what the proceeds would be used for, and how you know, specifically you were able to not reduce headcount, not reduce payroll, be able to make mortgage payments, interest payments, rent payments, and so forth because of these funds directly. For loans of $2 million and more, we are now seeing, I think it either happened yesterday or the day before, um, the SBA is saying they're going, they're going to audit the loan um, regarding the certification of the need to receive a loan. Our expectation is if they're gonna audit the loan regarding need, they're probably gonna audit your forgiveness calculation at the same time. It would seem silly not to do both. They may also be reviewing or auditing forgiveness calculations for loans of less than $2 million. So as accountants always like to say, you've got to dot your I's and cross your T's and have all your documentation in order, much like you would do when you take a position on a tax return. You want to have the documentation, you want to have your intent, um, and if needed, you want to have you know, the theory behind why you think your position is correct. Um, Beyond that, uh, we think most of our clients have or, and or should um, put the loan proceeds into a separate account. If you can get it into a money market account, great. Maybe you can earn a little bit of money over the next few months. If not, a business checking account is fine. And our concept is that as you write checks for various uh, categories of expense, you would draw down from the loan account and effectively fund those expenditures. So if you have a payroll next week and that's $300,000, let's just say exactly, then you draw down $300,000 from your PPP account to cover that expenditure. And then when you pay rent and utilities and interest, same thing, so that when you look back, you can see all the disbursements from that account and they will tie neatly to probably over that eight week period, um, you know, 15, 16, whatever it might be, expenditures, and they all tie to the penny and you have a nice clean audit trail. Um, we're picturing clients building a nice spreadsheet. Documentation for non-payroll costs, uh, it appears it should be things such as insurance bills, rent bills, cancel checks for those types of payments, cancel checks for payments for utilities, interest. Um, you clearly want to have saved a copy of your second quarter 941. The first quarter is going to be relevant too because there's mathematical tests regarding forgiveness where you look at the first quarter versus the second quarter. 
I would have handy a payroll register and my unemployment report for the second quarter as well. One thing to keep in mind is, you know, the CARES Act was put together by Congress. The SBA is administering the PPP uh, loan and related procedures and processes. And as we've all seen, guidance comes out almost daily, um, even on things such as how much of a loan you should have asked for and, and should you have asked for a loan at all. Um, so things are gonna change when you go to apply for forgiveness, which will be three, four months from now. A um, Couple of things to keep in mind. It may not be with the same bank. Uh, your loan could be sold between now and then. And we think that might happen rather frequently. Banks are gonna have their own forgiveness forms and procedures. But I think if you build a very nice spreadsheet and go through uh, you know, one of the best practices we talked about above, you'll be in the best shape. Um, from a accounting perspective, we've had a few clients already asking us, how do we book this? Um, what we've been seeing and reading is that from a gap perspective, the estimate of the amount of the loan that will be forgiven should be an other income item in your profit and loss statement. Any residual amount should be on your balance sheet as a loan. And then over time, you can true those things up as you determine more or less of the loan would be forgiven. Our tip here is don't reduce various, various expense categories as you pay expenses with the loan proceeds, because then you won't have good comparison data when you look back a year from now or when you compare to prior years. Um, so just have one lump sum entry as other income for what you believe will be the forgivable piece and the rest stays on the balance sheet. So speaking of forgiveness, um, you know, again, we talked about it, or I talked about it in the beginning. Um, forgiveness could be overrated. Um, for the husbands listening, it is not overrated, but for PPP, it could be. Um, maximizing forgiveness is great as long as we are maximizing the use of these dollars. Um, and we, we think that's uh, an important piece of the puzzle here that folks need to remember. And almost everyone who's listening is not going to have 100% forgiveness. Um, I won't go into the boring math details, but when the SBA came out with guidance that said 75% of your loan forgiveness needs to be payroll costs, 75% or more, um, and you have an eight-week period, if you just do the math, folks cannot get to 100% forgiveness unless your payroll goes up in the second quarter of 2020 versus the first quarter of 2020, and we just don't see that happening. Um, so, some of the details. Uh, the forgiveness measurement period, the covered period it's referred to, begins uh, the day of loan funding, the day initial funds hit your account. If it all doesn't come in in a lump sum, it starts on that day, and you have an eight-week period, again, to spend the money um, as it relates to forgiveness. Um, there are a number of uncertainties involved in the timing of some items. Again, as an accountant, if you look at the act, the words are it needs to be, expenses have to be incurred and paid during the eight-week period. Incurred sounds like accrual, paid sounds like cash. They have the word and, it sounds like both. That doesn't necessarily work. So we're waiting to get guidance. Is it accrual or is it cash? 
Um, they do use the word paid a lot when they talk about utilities, interest, and rent. Um, and many businesses, and if you count all small businesses, most businesses are on the cash basis. But where the SBA will land, uh, we were hoping to know by today, but we hope to know in the next few weeks. Um, so given that uncertainty, I think a good practice is to look at the eight weeks and look at what rent, interest, utility, um, health insurance, and payroll costs will naturally fall in that eight-week period. And then think about if some of those payments will fall outside of that period just by virtue of uh, it not being a clean two-month period, if you will. You might want to see what you can do to bring some of those into that eight-week period. Whether or not the SBA will look at things from an incurred perspective or a paid perspective, if you did pay it and it turns out that doesn't matter, at least you've given yourself a shot for that to help in the forgiveness calculation. Um, the forgiveness calculation won't happen until a month or two after your eight-week period. We've got to have guidance by then. And you could always adjust the calculation then once we have definitive guidance. Um, again, I wouldn't bring a lot into that eight-week period. It's going to hurt yourself from a cash perspective. That doesn't make sense. Um, so you know, we all need to be prudent there. Key dates, um, again, the eight-week period, if you have laid people off or reduced compensation and you're trying to maximize loan forgiveness, you want to reinstate comp as quickly as you can. You want to rehire people as quickly as you can. If people have left for other reasons or aren't going to come back and you need to hire a new or you want to hire a new person to maximize forgiveness, again, do that as quickly as you can during your eight-week period. There is a June 30 date where you can reinstate comp for folks who have had their compensation decreased and rehire people who have been furloughed or laid off. It is still not yet 100% clear if you run out and rehire 10 people on June 29th, does that eliminate that aspect of the headcount calculation or does it have to be for the majority of the eight week period? And I'll get into some of that math a little bit later on. Uh, one issue that's been bouncing around a lot is the 25% versus 75% for forgiveness. So to be clear, the SBA has said the amount of the loan that is forgiven, only 25% of loan forgiveness can be for non-payroll items. So that might not be 25% of your loan. And for most people, it won't be because your forgiveness will be less than your loan. So to be clear, the CARES Act says you need to use 75% of the loan proceeds for payroll costs. However, the loan forgiveness, 75% or more of it must be for payroll costs. So there's a little wordsmithing there, but there will be a distinction. One idea that uh, we came up with, we've had a number of clients who've had lenders and landlords um, you know, be interested in, in helping their uh, customers and tenants respectively uh, get through these times and have offered interest and rent deferrals. Um, that's nice um, and will be very helpful. And usually they're adding the interest and rent on the back end. So there's a, a temporary cash lift. Think about that. Again, if you're looking towards forgiveness as an important strategy, um, you may want to think about whether you 
asked to have that deferral deferred for a couple of months in order to maximize the payments you're making during the eight-week period. Now, it may be that we hear from the SBA that we're on the accrual method and paying or not paying isn't relevant. But I would at least give that some thought if you have interest in rent deferrals coming your way. Um, compensation during the eight-week period, it isn't just pay rate or hourly wages times hours. It would include commissions for people who get those normally. It would include bonuses. Um, so you might want to think about that. We know we have some clients who have, we'll call them frontline employees, um, and they're giving them some bonuses for sticking it out and going into work when maybe it wasn't as safe as it was two months ago. Um, so things of that nature, or perhaps there's a, a sales bonus or some other type of bonus that you might have deferred um, past your eight-week period, but if you want to maximize forgiveness, that might make sense. Um, one other comment on forgiveness, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to need to certify the amount of forgiveness you're requesting, just like you certify the need for the loan. So you want to be careful and talk with your attorney and your accountant and your banker to make sure that is uh, right and tight and appropriate. Um, one more thing on forgiveness, um, then I'm going to turn it over to Greg. Talking about headcount issues, fair amount of uh, probably a little too much complexity here, but um, we'll try to sort it out for you a little bit. Um, once you compute your potential forgiveness, you can get what we're going to call a haircut on that number. Two ways you can get a haircut. One is if you have reduced headcount during your eight-week period compared to one or two periods at your election. You can compare it to the period of February 15th, 2019 to June 30, 2019, and the comparison would be average FTEs. Or if it would produce a better result, you can compare your eight-week period from an average FTE headcount perspective to January 1st, 2020 to February 15th, 2020. So that, that is up to you to choose. If your headcount is down, which will be many people, many businesses, um, you can avoid a haircut here if you rehire new or existing employees by June 30th. Similar haircut is if compensation levels for your employees have dipped uh, when you compare the eight-week period to the first quarter of 2020, and if that decrease is greater than 25% on an employee-by-employee -employee basis, then you will have some of your forgiveness reduced. And I think that's all I had on that, Greg, if you wanted to talk about uh, some of the issues facing self-employed taxpayers. Sure. Thanks, Jim. Um, you know, six or seven weeks ago when we uh, started this remote work environment, Jim started growing out that beard and it was black. And uh, then April 3rd came PPP program opened up for business and uh, we see what happened. Um, most of the details that, that Jim just covered um, apply to all types of business. Um, however, I, I do today also want to cover some unique characteristics that will impact uh, particularly on self-employed individuals and independent contractors. 
Uh, for, so for this purpose, we're speaking about individuals who filed a Schedule C with their, with their annual personal tax returns. So first, I want to em emphasize the, you know, Jim's commentary around the need to document uh, the business environment and the factors particular to your business that justify the need for the loan. So you need to remember that the certifications that you signed with connection, in connection with obtaining the PPP loan include a statement that current economic uncertainty makes the loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the business. So we believe that each borrower should put together a, a memo. Uh, so talking about the financial statistics, talking about the, the environment, the business environment, the industry um, in, in support of the loan, as well as financial projections uh, and, and really have that um, you know, buttoned up so that you can put your best foot forward if and when the uh, SBA or authorities or, or, or your bank um, request support for the forgiveness request. So while we're talking about, um, and, and I would also comment that the best time to put that memo and that information together is now. Remember that, you know, it's easy to, if, if for example, we continue down a path of improved outlook, uh, memories are short and um, documenting the, the uncertainty that existed at the time of the loan application is going to be critical. So while we're talking about um, documentation, uh, for self-employed individuals, in some respects, the documentation that we expect will be required for forgiveness is likely to be a lot more straightforward than for corporate borrowers, at least with respect to uh, those self-employed individuals who have no employees. For those, for those folks uh, with no employees, forgiveness calculation is going to be based on your 2019 earnings from Schedule C. This is the same earnings number that uh, was used for the, um, the award of the loan, in it, it, although it uses a slightly different measurement. Uh, so the loan was likely approved for uh, two and a half twelfths of your 2019 Schedule C line 31. The forgiveness side only covers an eight-week period. So when we uh, go to look at the forgiveness calculation, you'll find that we start with that same line 31 of, of the form Schedule C from 2019, uh, multiply that by eight, eight weeks out of 52 or 8.50 seconds, and that is the algebra that works uh, for purposes of determining available forgiveness uh, for the earnings, the, the self-employed earnings piece of the, of the loan. So for example, um, we, remember we have to apply a $100,000 compensation limit to that um, calculation. So for an individual, a self-employed individual who had no employees uh, with 100,000 or more in Schedule C income in 2019, we would expect the loan to generally be a total of 20,833. That's uh, two twelfths of $100,000. And then the forgiveness is going to be 850 seconds of $100,000. So the maximum loan forgiveness based solely on owner earnings will be 15385 
Now, in addition, and, and to be clear, the, uh, that we received a number of questions about this, uh, retirement contributions and health costs associated with self-employed individuals are not in the calculation for forgiveness. Only retirement contributions and um, health costs paid for employees would be added to uh, the, that 15385 potential forgiveness. Now, the other qualified costs, the 25% the allowable that um, Jim referenced for rent, utilities, business interest um, that are incurred or paid, we'll, we'll find that out, um, over the eight-week period, the most if you do the algebra on that, on that, on a, if you received a twenty thousand eight hundred thirty-three dollar loan, and the maximum uh, forgiveness based on owner earnings is fifteen three eighty-five, well, that the algebra becomes a maximum loan forgiveness of twenty thousand five twelve, assuming that you have uh, enough rent, utilities, business interests, et cetera, to to cover that that difference. That would leave you with a, a still a three hundred or so dollar unforgiven loan balance. Um, so we've received a few questions as well from self-employed folks about, hey, do I need to take draws to support the the um, the forgiveness during the eight week period? And the answer uh, is no. The the calculation is a straightforward calculation based on two thousand nineteen. Schedule C. So your bank is going to require a copy of your Schedule C uh, for 2019. Each bank is likely to be a little different. They may require uh, copies of 1099s or other or other records in support of, of that income that you reported. You should be prepared to provide copies of invoices, receipts, uh, in any some form of payment verification in the form of canceled checks or bank statements for that eight week period to support the rents, business interest and utilities. And building, again, building that file throughout the eight week period is gonna be easier than trying to assemble it on the back end. Um, for for self-employed folks who, who do have employees, you also need to uh, pr provide payroll records like Jim talked about, uh, as well as uh, support for health insurance premiums and retirement contributions paid, again, only for those employees, not for the self-employed individual. Um, finally, with one uh, other item with respect particularly to self-employed individuals, many, many of those folks will have home office expenses and the forgiveness calculation can include a portion of your home mortgage interest or rent as well as utility costs uh, for your home. But that's gonna be allocated based on the square footage of the home office relative to the square footage of the entire home, similar to the, the home office deduction calculation. Uh, however, in order to qualify for these types of expenses, the home office expenses as part of the forgiveness calculation, you generally need to have, you need to have been eligible to claim that home office as a deduction on your 2019 return as well. 2020 uh, is not, if 2020 is the first year uh, of your home office usage, that's not likely to pass muster for forgiveness. Um, finally, one more uh, important note for, for self-employed individuals, 
One of the relief provisions of the CARES Act uh, expands coverage of unemployment benefits to include self-employed individuals. However, uh, to the extent that you are receiving unemployment benefits, you're generally not eligible for a PPP loan. So if uh, we have anybody on the call who uh, is in this situation where they may have applied under CARES Act for uh, unemployment benefits and received uh, or thought about thought about applying for a PPP loan, you need to be ultra careful there. If you've received a loan, you may want to look into whether you have a requirement to pay that back. Um, with that, I think I'm going to um, stop there. I think Jim's going to talk a little bit about some of the significant open questions that we have, and then we'll jump into uh, answering directly questions for that came from uh, all of the participants in advance. Thanks, Greg. Um, so open items, we, we put together uh, six or seven that we think are kind of critical areas where we're going to need guidance primarily from Treasury, SBA, and maybe a one IRS issue. Um, so let me dive into those. So the first one we've talked about a little bit already, cost incurred and paid, what does that mean? Is it accrual, is it cash, is it somehow both? Um, this is gonna be important. You know, it's an eight week period that starts on a, a random day. It's, you know, it's not the first of the month. Um, you know, the AICPA has done a nice job um, putting out some recommendations to, you know, the officials involved in all of this. They had a nice idea, which was, can we have it, the eight-week period start on the next payroll you have after your loan has been funded? That would seem clean, right? Um, or the first of a month, but we don't have that at this time. So cash versus accrual is something to keep an eye on. And as I said before, if you can, you know, within reason, um, you know, adjust the timing of some payments to bring them into your eight weeks and it turns out for forgiveness calculations that doesn't help you you really haven't hurt yourself if if you're only moving something a week or two or something along those lines uh the june 30 and to the covered period if you look at the act um, which hopefully no one has done except for geeky tax people um it says that your eight-week covered period must end by June 30th. Well, what if we have clients that will get approved, hopefully, um, this week for PPP funding, and maybe that doesn't happen until a week or two from then? Um, and if your eight-week period ends after June, what happens? Um, there's been some recommendations made that the June 30 cutoff maybe doesn't really make sense at all. If you have a business that is shuttered, your retail business that you literally cannot be open, um, or if you're a restaurant and all you can do is carry out, um, you know, it's just tough for some industries specifically to look at that eight week period starting right away and having it have to end at June. So will the SBA move that date out for everyone or for certain people, um, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, so a tax issue, a tax guy has to talk about tax issues. In the CARES Act, it's very clear, uh, the plain language in the statute says that the loan forgiveness that one would get from your PPP loan 
is not taxable. So that sounds like great news, but tax people always have to keep reading and thinking. And so there is a code section 265 that says, if you have expenses related to tax exempt income, those expenses are non-deductible. This happens very frequently when clients might have uh, municipal investments. So they have non-taxable income, expenses related to that are not deductible. Well, if you apply code section 265 to your PPP forgiveness, that would indicate that all that payroll, the rent, utilities, et cetera, would not be deductible. Is that the right answer? How will the IRS rule? We obviously do not know. Um, you know, if you, th when I think about it on a net basis, um, you know, if the government is quote unquote giving you money and you use that money to create a tax deduction, you really do end up with a tax windfall if the forgiveness is not taxable, but the deductions are deductible. Um, and so again, I could speculate for five more minutes, but I won't. Um, we need to hear from the IRS on this, probably as opposed to the SBA. And then one other wrinkle here would be, let's say the IRS says, we believe Congress wanted to allow this tax windfall that Wilhelm's talking about to occur. That's great. Federally, we would be fine. Now we have to think about the states who are also getting hammered right now with the economic issues. And would they say, we want to decouple um, from that aspect of the CARES Act as it relates to income taxes, and we would want to tax that money. Again, stay tuned. Um, interest expense, we've seen a lot of questions. Um, what is covered, what is not? In the CARES Act under Section 1102, it's a slightly broader uh, commentary around what would be covered. In the forgiveness section, it's a little more narrow. Um, so is it just mortgage interest or is it interest on other business loans? What is clear is your loan needs to be in place as of February 15th, so it cannot be a new loan. Um, the self-employment guidance that came out to me seemed to indicate that interest could be not just on a mortgage, but it could be on loans secured by personal property of the business. So I liked seeing that. If that carries over to uh, in businesses that have employees, that would be helpful. Um, one question we had from a client, I have a line of credit, was already in place. Obviously, given the times, I've increased the balance on my line of credit since February 15th of 2020. Is that increase in loan balance, the interest related to that increase, going to qualify for forgiveness? If I had a guess, which I don't, but I will for the moment, I would say no, because that seems to me that that is new debt, not old debt. But maybe we'll hear on that. Um, related party payments. So we can have all kinds of related parties uh, payments. We can have compensation to related parties, rent, interest. The CARES Act is silent on whether related party payments qualify or do not qualify. Um, I think at this point, it's relatively safe to say related party payments should be allowed for forgiveness. They were not disallowed, if that's a phrase, when you applied for your loan. Um, it doesn't mean the SBA couldn't change the rules. They did implement the 7525 rule, you know, that's really not in the statute. Um, so they kind of get to make the rules there. 
but I think it's safe to say related party payments should be allowed, again, as long as they are reasonable, as long as the lease and the loan and the employment existed at February 15th, you should be fine. Rent, um, warehouse and office rent seems to be in. Personal property rent, we aren't sure. Um, although again, the self-employment guidance gave us a little hint that maybe it will be allowed. That would, I think, make sense. Uh, beyond that, um, define rent. Is it just the rent you pay on the first of the month or would that include things like common area maintenance, taxes that your landlord passes through, et cetera? We don't know yet. Um, again, the key is any payments that would qualify need to be pursuant to a lease dated prior to February 15th. Utilities um, in the act, they do give us a little bit of a definition there. They talk about uh, utilities covering gas, electricity, water, telephone, and internet. I think those are relatively straightforward. Transportation is thrown in there. Um, there could be hopefully some guidance coming out for these issues, questions around transportation might be, does reimbursing employees for mileage count? Does an auto allowance count? Does reimbursing employees for their mobile phone count or their internet they use at home count? Again, I think those are probably reasonable interpretations. If these were things you were doing before February 15th, then I would clearly put them into your calculation and your spreadsheet now. I would fund them with PP dollars but before you submit those for forgiveness we hope to have guidance that would help you make sure that those things are handled correctly i think we're going to go to the questions that we've received over the last couple of days and i'm going to let greg kick it off and uh, respond to a few of those Thanks, Jim. I, you know, I, if you noticed on that previous slide, the uh, the numbers that appeared um, were the number of Google searches that uh, that we noticed as of yesterday on those topics. So there's been a substantial amount of interest in those questions. We were hoping that we would have a, answers to more of those questions when we originally scheduled this this webinar. But um, it, it looks the way the the Treasury has been. Uh, operating is these some of these answers going to be dribbling out um, over the next eight to ten weeks. So, um, with respect to expenses, one thing I'd suggest is we just, you know, the best best practice would be if you think it might qualify as a utility item or a rent uh, item, we suggest you start tracking it now. Operate under the assumption that it will qualify. Be ready to, to include it in your calculation and then pay attention to the guidance from us, from your banker, from the treasury. So to the questions, uh, I think we're gonna try to use the last 20 minutes here to get through as many of these as we can. I think the number of questions is, I don't know, 70 or 80, so we'll do our best. Uh, we'll try to take them as quickly as we can. So first one I'll deal with, one of, the, one of our employees recently left the organization voluntarily. Will this reduce the amount of the loan that is forgiven because we now have fewer employees, or is there an exception because of voluntary uh, termination? And the answer there is no, there's no exception based on voluntary versus involuntary. 
Uh, it's a straight formula, and to the extent this position is not replaced by June 30, uh, the amount of your loan forgiveness likely will be reduced. Uh, next, uh, so if we if we terminated a quarter of our staff on April 1st, do we need to rehire them for the loan to be forgiven? We have not received the loan yet. So here, uh, forgiveness of the loan is not an all or none event. Um, the, the loan amount forgiven will be reduced by headcount reductions and significant and significant reductions in the employee pay rates that are in effect during the eight-week testing period. So unless, unless restoration occurs by June 30. So each situation is unique. Calculations are complex. It's going to be the rare borrower that gets full forgiveness, but there, um, you know, we're, we're going to recommend there that you work with your advisors and stay in touch with your bank. And that's going to, that, that guidance is likely going to apply to, to many of these questions. I'll take one more and then Jim, you can jump in. Um, so how do you calculate an FTE for this purpose? Are coaches, substitutes, and other seasonal employees included in this FTE count? Okay, so um, for purposes of the eligibility of the for a loan, um, every employee is counted, period. Um, whether they're full-time or, or part-time, they count as an employee. However, when you get to the calculation of loan forgiveness, the, the loan forgiveness calculations uh, during the um, testing period and, and the comparative periods where you have the choice between the two, they require calculations that are based on full-time equivalents. So for that purpose, an employee, so you have an employee a W who receives a W-2, if they work 10 hours a week, that would be included in the forgiveness calculation as uh, a 0.25 FTE. Uh, Jim, you want to take a couple? Sure. So um, self-insured for healthcare, how does that affect premiums? Uh, the act stipulates that costs incurred by an employer during the eight-week testing period for employee health benefits should be includable as a qualified payroll expense and therefore includable in your forgiveness calculation. Um, whether that be if you're self-insured um, versus uh, using insurance uh, to handle that. Insurance premiums, when you pay them, that's pretty straightforward. Self-insured, again, it's gonna come down to incurred versus paid. Uh, we would caution you that prepaying expenses in this area may work, but it may not work. Um, you're gonna wanna chat with uh, your appropriate advisor there. Um, can we grant a temporary 10% pay increase for employees that are working during the forgiveness period? Do commissions paid count as well? Um, speaking on behalf of the employees of this business, the answer to that is yes, you can increase pay at any time, um, but that would count, right? And so um, if for some other reason your payroll spend was down, but people received a pay increase, that's going to bring the math back up and may help you maximize forgiveness. Um, commissions paid count, salary, wages, bonuses. One thing to keep in mind, um, there is a cap as it relates to the compensation of any employee during the eight-week testing period, and that's effectively at an annualized run rate of $100,000. So during the eight-week period, there's a $15,385 per employee cap. So if you pay someone a $50,000 bonus, 
it's not going to necessarily help you with forgiveness beyond the 15385 of their total comp. And then one other quick thing to add there, because I've seen this question a few times. When we look at the $100,000 cap for employees, that is on, we'll call it, to be simplify it a little bit, W-2 wages. Uh, benefits paid for that person for retirement or health insurance can be on top of that $100,000 annualized comp cap. I'll do one more, then flip it to Greg. Um, do we have to set up a separate bank account? I don't think it's required. I, we just think that it's a best practice and leaves you a, a nice uh, audit trail. Okay, so uh, we have a question. Is there a need to track projects that people are working on? Can salaries that are paid by federal grants and contracts be counted when calculating payroll costs that count toward forgiveness? Well, here um, we're talking likely, it sounds like we're talking about a government contractor. Um, those types of businesses may be able to secure funding under Section 3610 um, provisions, and therefore, uh, this gets pretty murky pretty fast, and we're going to recommend there that you need to consult with your contracting officer about uh, about that funding versus the PPP funding, and you should do so um, relatively quickly because you're not eligible to receive both 3610 benefit as well as PPP um, benefit for the same um, items. The uh, another one. I've heard that there will be a, length, a lengthy and complicated application process in order to apply for loan forgiveness and that that forgiveness is not guaranteed. Can you talk about that? So here, uh, the act requires that banks issue a decision on forgiveness within 60 days of the application from the borrower. Um, it's clear that there will be a review process and that the review process will be more rigorous for larger loans. So just yesterday, last night, actually very late last night, I think, um, the Treasury uh, issued a guidance that uh, issued a statement that, that backs up uh, Secretary Mnuchin's comments that he made earlier yesterday, uh, that all loans of more than $2 million will be subject to an SBA review process. Um, it also, that guidance also indicated that um, smaller loans will not are not exempt from review, but they will look at 100% of all loans in excess of two million. Uh, one, one more. Uh, how might the rules for forgiveness change going forward? Well, um, you know, given that the the rules for applying for the loan have changed multiple times, even even as late as yesterday, uh, we suspect that the forgiveness rules are going to evolve over the next six, eight, 10 weeks or more. Um, the best advice we can give you there is stay tuned, keep an eye on our, our, uh, our website. Uh, we will, uh, I will say that it's not unlikely to the extent that we accumulate enough uh, meat for another webinar. It's not unlikely that we would uh, do another, another webinar like this with more answers later in the process and certainly everybody on this list would receive a, an email invite to that webinar. Jim? Sure. Um, exactly what type of expenses qualify under utilities? 
car and gas allowances, cell phones, auto leases, parking spots rented in a landlord's garage, mileage reimbursement. I think I touched on that a little bit. I think most of those seem like they would qualify. Again, presuming this is subject to agreements in place as of February 15th, 2020. Um, again, as we've already said, I would put them in your math, get them into your spreadsheet, have your documentation ready for that. And if it turns out, you know, the SBA guidance narrows the funnel there, if you will, related to those expenses, you can always pull it back out. Um, but it might make sense to make sure you've reimbursed employees for mileage and, you know, car expenses, phone and all that good stuff prior to the end of your eight week period. Um, let's see another question on the eight week period. Um, you know, there's currently no exception for the eight week period starting other than the date of the first disbursement of your PPP loan, and it ends 56 days later. Um, there's a question about what can count in health insurance premiums, and I think it's health benefits is the wording that's in the act. Um, so it's health expenses, which would include health insurance premiums. We haven't seen any interpretation or guidance whether it, that could include uh, anything for disability premiums or for life insurance. Greg, I'm going to let you do the next couple. Okay. Uh, there was a question, can we include storage unit rent? Um, that under the self-employed guidance, uh, which presumably would apply broadly, um, it, that's pretty clear that to the extent that the storage unit is used for business purposes, rental costs uh, should qualify for inclusion in that forgiveness calculation. Another, can we include retirement costs and health insurance for employees who are already capped at the $100,000 salary? Um, so yes, employer retirement plan contributions and employer paid health insurance premiums are added to, to the uh, gross payroll costs after applying the uh, $100,000 limit. Um, so one more. Uh, so FAQ, FAQ says borrower certification must take into account their current business activity and their ability to access other sources of liquidity sufficient to support the ongoing operations in a manner that is not significantly de detrimental to the business. Does this mean the borrower must draw down lines of credit or look at other loans prior to applying for PPP. Also, does this FAQ contradict CARES Act that eliminate, eliminated the ordinary requirement that a borrower not be able to, to obtain financing from other sources? Well, that's the heart of the 12 odd million searches that, that we saw on the open items list. Uh, this, is a, this is probably the hottest issue out there. Um, the act is now sort of divergent from treasury guidance and is evolving in, in the media every day. Um, our opinion is that you need to be comfortable with your certification that, uh, and, and that certification requires that the business was harmed at the time or that the uncertainty, uh, you know, that the uncertainty at the time of the loan application would show that the business would soon be harmed. Um, you need to pay attention to this. I, I, we know there's a May 7 date out there that would allow you to repay if you become uncomfortable with that guidance. Uh, if there's if there's question, and for many of you there there will be questions, I would uh, suggest that you 
work with your your uh, advisors to document and analyze your your industry, your company, um, the situation you're in, and and remember um, my comments earlier. You need to be able to show that there is a likelihood of of significant of um, significant damage. I think um, to the business, and so. Um, at the time of a, of application, in many cases, there was so much uncertainty that 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 should play in the favor of many businesses. But um, we this this addition of a new May seven opportunity to change your mind makes that uh, a bit more murky. And so, time to reevaluate, time to document, time to um, put your best foot forward. I would also say there was another question. I'll, maybe I'll pick this off, but I don't have the exact wording on it. There was another question about what are the penalties for failed certification, and and the answer there um, is that there. I don't have the exact, but these are criminal penalties potentially. Um, I would imagine that um, you you can you can expect. I would I would think my opinion would be you can expect that that. SBA is going to uh, apply a measured approach and treat a public company with access to broad sources of funds differently than a private business with with far fewer um, uh, alternatives and and also measure the the level of um, attention and care they put into uh, determining and documenting their need, uh, and so it, it's. I, I don't imagine that we're going to see an all-or-none kind of uh, approach towards enforcement here. But mm -hmm. we're not the attorneys. You you need to talk with your advisor about that. Jim. Yeah, I think you know the spirit. If we go back to the act, you know the spirit was if a business, if not for the PPP funding. Would you have had trouble paying your rent, paying your loan payments, paying for your utilities, or maintaining your headcount and maintaining your payroll at those levels? If you can look in the mirror and say, yes, without this money, I would have had trouble making these payments. I would have cut people, you know, I would have reduced headcount, I would have reduced payroll. Um, you know, that's that's really where the, the crux of this should should come into play. I think a lot of the noise out there in the media is around, you know, four or five dozen public companies that probably should not have applied. But, you know, clearly you need to be comfortable that uh, with your certification and you have um, seven days to, to bail if you're not. Um, we had a question about taxes. I think we already answered that. Um, Severance pay um, does qualify as a payroll cost. So again, it's I'm maybe oversimplifying a little bit, but if you are trying to think about what counts as payroll costs from a wage perspective, it's what would show up in someone's W-2 um, in addition to the retirement plan benefits and the health insurance benefits that are also part of that definition. Here's a good question. Um, again, it gets back to the definitional aspects of costs incurred and paid. 
Um, so a question was, can we use our 2019 profit sharing plan contribution as part of the 75% payroll eligibility for forgiveness? We typically contribute in 2020. This is a super common situation. And here's one where I just said, hey, if you can wiggle things a little bit and bring a spend into the eight week period that you were gonna spend two or four weeks later anyway, and it helps with forgiveness, why not do it? This is a perfect example of that. Again, I would love to have a definitive answer, but unfortunately we don't. If that was incurred in 2019, but you pay it in 2020, does that count? I don't know. Do, could you prepay some of what you will pay for 2020 and get that done in the eight week period for that to count potentially, or is it on an incurred, you know, accrual basis, if you will. Um, hopefully, as Greg said, um, we can get a big chunk of guidance from the SBA, which would be, uh, you know, uh, helpful to us to redo, you know, to have a version two of this, if you will, um, PPP 2.0, and we can circle back on some of the, you know, seven or eight big questions that will um, allow people to have a little more certainty around the forgiveness calculation. I think I'll take this last, I'll take, I'm going to take this last one. Um, so PPP loan forgiveness for sole proprietor, home-based office, family business, payments of estimated taxes, estimated state taxes and contributions to self-employed 401k during the eight-week period. So clearly, clearly this is a sole proprietor looking to um, increase their forgiveness using 401k and estimated state taxes. The, re the reality is they don't come into play in the forgiveness calculation. Um, unless there are other um, rents, home office expenses, um, your your forgiveness is going to be 850 seconds of line 31 of 2019 form Schedule C. Uh, with that, I think we're about uh, reaching our end. I'll turn it over to Colin for final comments. Great. Thanks a lot, Jim and Greg. Um, and thanks to everyone on, in attendance for today's webinar for joining us. Um, there were a number of questions that came in during the webinar. Um, let us sort through those um, and we will follow up with, um, if you are a client, please do reach out to your engagement team first and foremost, and we'll make sure we're communicating with them so that they're prepared. Um, if you're not an SCNH client, um, we'll, we'll do our best to get back and, and, and get you guys uh, communication and, and responses um, as we have information. Um, we do encourage this group to keep an eye on our resource center. That's still going to be the best place for new content as well as updates to existing content as new uh, information is made available. Um, but on behalf of all of us here at SCNH Group, we do want to wish you, your families, your businesses, and your colleagues the best as we all look ahead. If we may be of any assistance, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Stay safe, stay, safe, stay healthy, and thanks for being with us today. Everyone have a great Thursday and enjoy your upcoming weekend. Bye.